Joining us now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're all having a a beautiful day. It was it was kind of nice there for a while. It was, uh, I don't know, just, it was cool, I think, is the word, if I remember <laughs> yes. that correctly. And some rain. Time. Yeah, I don't know that we got oh. any here. Maybe a couple of drops. It really didn't. Uh, I go by my deck. Sure. I have one of those decks made out of fake wood sort of stuff that's supposed to last forever, but it... Composite. It shows a, yeah, it shows the rain really well. Holds oh. it on there for quite a while, and it was it was pretty pretty dry as toast, I guess. Oh. Like as dry as toast as who? Let's see, Elwood Blues ate. Wasn't he the one in the Blues Brothers that <laughs> ate sure. uh, dry toast all the time? And I didn't want anything on it, <laughs> which is oh, a hard way to go through <laughs> life. Heading out on the Pelican Breeze tonight again, so I hope it uh, it'll be it'll be a beautiful day. And if anybody's interested in a trip on that, the next one after this will be July 18th, and you can just go to pelicanbreeze.org and you'll find more information than you want to know. Um, Cardinals were out feeding at dawn. They avoid crowds, and then I saw a chickadee at the feeder. I haven't been seeing them a whole lot lately because they were busy with babies and everything but they are the epitome of a feeder bird they're cute tiny perky just uh, they just they make me smile and i heard the jumbled song of house finches and it's beautiful music to my ear and i was uh, i pick raspberries so i get bitten by a lot of mosquitoes and this morning I bit one back so <laughs> that'll teach them I hope uh, hope that word gets back to whoever the queen of the mosquitoes is here and they leave me alone you know that's the only time I've really been noticing them is when I go out and pick raspberries and boy they just uh, they torment me uh, uh, oh, here's a Blue Jay at the window. Stephanie Seymour wrote and sang, Blue Jay, you made my day and you didn't even try, but if you wonder why, it's because of all the beauty that I see when you're in front of me. A Blue Jay has a gizzard, like most of, like birds do, but it also has a throat sack called a gular pouch, and it fills that pouch, and observers have counted, I don't know that these were any kind of scientific research or anything, just people counting them, have counted a blue jay taking between 70 and 100 black oil sunflower seeds at a time. Oh. And then the, the jay flies away, hacks up those seeds for consumption or caching later, and uh, reports also say the gular pouch can hold up to five acorns. Oh, if humans were like that, Karen, you know, they'd go to the fair and just uh, walk down there and just eat everything and then hack it up later for consumption or, you know, putting it in the refrigerator at home, which is our means of caching things. I saw a Cooper's hawk in Albert Lee. Uh, it eats mainly birds. And studies have found that small birds are safer around Cooper's hawks and are medium-sized birds like Oh, starlings, morning doves, rock pigeons, robins, jays, northern flickers, quail, pheasants, grouse, and chickens. Uh, those are all common targets. And the female Cooper's hawk is larger, about a third larger than the male. And uh, that's called sexual dimorphism. And because of this, the female hunts larger birds than does the male. And the male is, I think, really nice to her because he's a, 
a larger bird that she might hunt if he's not. I don't see white-tailed jackrabbits. We were having a talk here at home about that the other day. We, I just don't see them anymore. I grew up with cattle dogs, and they were, oh, they were exceedingly smart. But yet, they had that weakness. They insisted on chasing jackrabbits. And jackrabbits could leap 10 feet, and they could run 40 miles per hour. Uh, there was no way a dog was going to catch them, but they tried. And I'd sit on the tractor, and pretty soon the dogs would come back with their tongue actually dragging on the ground. I watched jackrabbits eat clover, alfalfa, dandelions, and grasses, and that seemed to be the, the things they liked. Uh, Annie Matson of Albert Lee saw some young eagles near them and also some swan cygnets. Uh, Rick Mammel of Albert Lee's did an inspection of his, well, it's the Albert Lee Audubon Society's Purple Martins housing units, and he checked the T14 Purple Martin apartment. He said it had 20 eggs and 30 babies. The plastic gourd unit had 29 eggs and 39 babies, and it sounds good, but it'll be less than fledged last year. Uh, Greg and Terry Tellier, they live in, uh, let's see, it's Penticton, British Columbia, and it said, yeah, we like to look at birds too. Extreme heat here causing, yeah, boy, it's been in the news a lot here. Extreme heat causing lots of problems for the birds. They rescued two osprey chicks here today. The water temperature is 80 degrees in Okanagan Lake, and the fish are having to go deeper in the water, not good for hawks and bald eagles. Most birds are doing pretty good for the moment, but in Vernon, British Columbia, just north of us, they're discovering lots of dead great blue herons under the nest at a rookery. Bluebirds are not doing very well in the southern half of the province. Uh, John Beale, speaking of bluebirds, John lives uh, outside Medford. He said, for the first time in over 10 years, I've not observed or heard one single bluebird in our yard. Really sad. Uh, Donna and Dwayne Swenson of Rural Wasika, Young Cedar Waxwings, sent me some, uh, sent my wife some photos. Uh, Joyce Tabor of Askoff said in uh, Askoff, there's too much excitement around there. They were, she was home alone recently. Oh, I, I sense a movie coming out of that. <laughs> At midnight, cats told me something is going on outside. I opened the door, and right there is Yogi. And it was just Yogi without boo-boo, apparently. But uh, Yogi had tipped over the sunflower seed container. He'd taken down a couple of feeders, but had not eaten that much. Now the containers come in each night. He also found the corn in the garage and tipped that over, so the container is now in the garden shed. He left me a nice pile to clean up the next day, and from the looks of that pile, his recent eating was pretty healthy. Nothing sparse there. Yes, I was hoarse Sunday from screaming at Yogi to leave. And Joyce, I yeah, I take in the feeders at night, but it's because of raccoons here, so it, it could be a lot worse. Uh, Val Phillips sent my wife. Uh, Val is from rural Heartland, and she sent a photo of a round egg, almost perfectly round. If you can all kind of visualize that, it was small, very small egg. But it was in with her chickens. Now, folks that have raised 
chickens, you know, pullets will lay small eggs sometimes. We get soft-shelled eggs. Um, you get various ones. I raised chickens for so long, and um, but they're usually not really round. We would call some of them round, but they weren't. This is round like a ping-pong ball, and I believe it to be a snapping turtle egg. And a female snapper will use her hind feet to dig out a cavity, and she'll lay anywhere from 10 to 100. It's probably usually 20 to 50. And she uses her hind feet to guide them into the nest. And the eggs are inch and a quarter maybe in diameter. They're white, and they have a leathery shell. And once the eggs are laid, the female covers the nest with sand or soil and returns to water. And depending on the weather, the eggs will hatch in, oh, man, anywhere from 50 to 125 days. Females will lay larger clutches as they get larger. And the eggs have this tough, oh, it's leathery shell. And they're shaped like ping-pong balls. And most eggs, again, will hatch in that 50 to 125. I would guess most of them maybe around 60 days. And the babies have a shell length of maybe about an inch. And one of the many interesting things about this is the incubation temperatures affects the sex of the hatchling turtles, with more females hatching during warmer temperatures and more males hatching during cooler temperatures. Now, how did it get in the middle of her fenced-in chicken yard? That's a real good question. Uh, raccoons and skunks like to dig up the nests. A uh, fox will eat them, uh, possums would eat them, I'm sure. So there's a lot of things would eat the egg. So I'm picturing a raccoon carrying the eggs away, and a, a paws full of them, and it's tackled by a skunk. And it fumbles one of the eggs, and it rolls through the, the wire into the chicken yard. And uh, it, I'm sure that didn't happen, but that's, that's what I believe, and I'm going to stick with it. Uh, Brad Abendroth uh, saw a Bell's Vireal in Redwood County and also yellow-breasted chat. I've never seen one of those here in my home county. I dream of seeing a yellow-breasted chat. I see them, yeah, it seems like everywhere else but here. Uh, Dave Barkey saw a Bell's Vireal and a blue grosbeak in Blue Earth County. Uh, Liz Harper saw a Mississippi kite. In Blue Earth County, of course, there's that wonderful uh, rock song, Mississippi Kite. Uh, Gil Ewing saw a common merganser at Silver Lake WMA. That's in Worth County, Iowa. A Annie Madsen of Albert Lee asked, how long do eagles stay in a nest? She has a bald eagle nest with two young ones right near her home. Incubation for bald eagles is around 35 days. And then the eggs hatch in the order they were laid. And then the eaglets will fledge somewhere between 10 and 14 weeks, Annie. A listener asks, what do rabbits eat? Uh, I've heard eastern cottontail rabbits described as artful dodgers. (laughs) Uh, Literary... um, comment on them and i think that's a wonderful name in winter they feed on seeds twigs bark tree seedlings but they also eat their own vitamin rich droppings ew 
<laughs> yeah, I know. I can. We all can tell where a rabbit has been eating. As a plant suffers a like a forty-five degree angle cut, it's mm-hmm. a fairly smooth cut compared to when deer eat them because they just tear away at plants. But rabbits love tender shoots of various plants, like hostas uh, and beets. <laughs> yep, and they, but they the good part they like crabgrass. They like sow thistle, dock, plantain, uh, red clover, white clover. Oh, they love white clover, and they also like dandelions. Do you know, and Al, I, since I have been uh, letting the, putting white clover in my yard, you know, for the, for the bees, the bunnies have been concentrating on the clover and left my other plants alone. So I'm pretty excited to know that it's not only good for the lawn, uh, the bunnies are also using it, and it sort of deters them from other things. So uh, I say there's a good another benefit to it. And not all that many years ago, lawns, uh, boy, to have a white clover lawn, that was mm-hmm. the epitome of good taste. Folks yes. would uh, cultivate white clover yards. So maybe that's a... Uh, Something that I was talking to, I talk to a rabbit out here every day, and we talk about. Uh, he was telling me about his favorite sandwich the other day, which happened to be lettuce, but he was eating white clover the whole time. He was oh six feet from me, just eating away as I'm babbling on about you know the things you babble on when you talk to rabbits. But he was eating white clover the whole time and seemed to be very happy doing it. Uh, but. They do eat dandelions. I watched one a couple days ago eating a dandelion. And, you know, whether you consider dandelions pretty, pesty, or perky, they're they're a pretty cool plant. They're beautiful. They can live five to ten years. And as you know, they have these wide-spreading roots that loosen hard-packed soil. They aerate the earth. They help reduce erosion. They have these deep tap roots that pull nutrients from deep in the soil and make them available to other plants. They say, here you go, guys. Uh, And they're used by pollinators, uh, goldfinches, song, chipping sparrows, indigo buntings, toeys eat the seeds, rabbits, porcupines, ground squirrels, mice, prairie dogs eat the the seeds, the foliage in the root, uh, deer browse on the dandelions. So they have a lot of things uh, good going on with them, too, and they're also uh, not that bad for humans to eat. They have a lot of vitamins in there, so... I, we get this question every year, Karen, and it's, are bug zappers effective? And yes. I, we had I them on the farm in the, in the barn, and it was because there were so many flies, as you know. So I'm, I always wondered, given the number of flies and how many they actually got, were they effective? That, that is a good question. I will say this. It depends on what you describe how you define effective they True. certainly are entertaining yes <laughs> you know uh, there's uh, many of folks you know an ideal summer night you get some beer and maybe grill up some hot dogs and hamburgers and you you sit down on the deck and just listen to the bug zapper go and you're thinking man we're killing mosquitoes ouch and then you get bit by one and you say well there's one got by but a zapper participates in oh how can i put it in in indiscriminate slaughter of insects and many of them are beneficial so it Mm. doesn't say i'm just going after mosquitoes or i'm going after deer flies or i'm going after horse flies a university of delaware did a study and they found point 
0.22% of the kills were biting insects. So not even close to 1%. And research also showed that your chances of being bitten by a mosquito increase when you're near a bug zapper because the light attracts them and so do you. So you get a lot more coming in. So if you want to get bitten by a mosquito, I guess the best thing to do would be to put up a bug zapper and then stand by it. And you'll probably get it. So, you know, and it, I know it's quite an industry, bug zappers, but I still, uh, I maintain it's still mainly for entertainment purposes. But it does kill a lot of uh, bugs that we want to keep. And with all the news about the, the birds out east, I've got a friend from Indiana has been... Uh, getting a hold of me because he's not supposed to feed his birds anymore because of uh, there's this mysterious illnesses hitting those. And uh, when it first happened, I said, I'll bet people are spraying for cicadas or something. And I don't know if that's the case, but that's what I thought at that time. And it still remains to be seen. But a lot of birds are dying. And somebody asked, well, what birds do we have here that eat cicadas? And there are way more than I'll mention here, but I'll rattle off a few. Chickadees, of course, my beloved chickadees. Robins, bluebirds, eastern kingbirds, tyrannus, tyrannus. I have two at the end of my driveway that will sit on utility wires and just wait for a fight to come along. They're looking for any kind of bird that they can fight with. They're just incredible birds. Uh, Yellow-billed cuckoos, uh, also black-billed cuckoos, house sparrows, red-bellied woodpeckers, red-headed woodpeckers, grackles, uh, red-winged blackbirds, even mallards, cardinals will, wild turkeys, and a lot of others will eat these. And uh, we haven't had any problems with this disease as far as I'm aware of. Uh, so I hope we I hope we never do. Uh, listener said about the snapping turtle eggs, how long is a snapping turtle's neck? Uh, the ones we have here are common snapping turtles. We do not have the bigger ones. The alligator snapping turtles are not in Minnesota unless somebody's released one in a pond or something. But common snapping turtles have long necks. And you just think of uh, snapping turtles. You've probably all seen one. That neck reaches up to two-thirds, up to two-thirds, the length of their shell. So, man, that's a, you know, so when you pick one up, just remember that. That neck can come out and reach a long ways. And they are capable of inflicting a painful bite. But kind of a good news, bad news thing here, our bite is much stronger. So you're better off being, if you're going to be bitten by anything, you know, get bitten by a snapping turtle and not (laughs) me. Because we can bite a lot harder than a snapping turtle. But uh, it's, uh, here's a listener said, how long will raccoons remain with their mom? Oh, they're so cute. And this is the time of year we'll be seeing a lot of little... uh, cuteness on the highway because so many of those baby raccoons kits or cubs they get hit uh raccoons you know one man's garbage is a raccoon's treasure and the kits will stay they're weaned probably two to three months and then they'll remain with their mother for up to a year 
And as Rocket Raccoon in the Guardians of the Galaxy said, ain't no thing like me except me. And that's pretty much what raccoons are. They might drive me crazy at times uh, getting a feeder. But, you know, if I get out there and take them down and put them in, it's, uh, it's a little walking exercise I get. As long as I remember to do that, they don't bother them. They're going off bothering my neighbor probably then. So they're just doing what raccoons do, and they are cute. And uh, folks say we have more of them than we ever have. I, I believe that's probably true. And uh, do cowbirds parasitize purple martin nests? Uh, cowbird females will dump eggs in the nests of other birds for the nest owners to raise, but they primarily parasitize the nests of birds that build open nests in the edges of woodlots, and they rarely enter nest cavities. And I don't know that in our uh, purple martin nests here. I don't think we've ever found a cowbird egg. And that's not to say it doesn't happen, but it's it's not a common occurrence. So we uh, fight the, the two we have the most problem with are house sparrows and European starlings. They're the two that get in there. Um, but this year it wasn't bad. We had a starling nest was all. So it, was, it wasn't a bad year for that. But but no uh, no brown-headed cowbirds. I saw a beautiful male brown-headed cowbird here the other day. Man, what a lovely bird he is. And he lays no eggs in the nests of other birds. So, uh, what's, what's one good thing about having a wolf around? Uh, well, I guess if you have it in the house, it's probably a pretty good watchdog. <laughs> I, I, I'm guessing she is asking... Why would we want wolves around? And there's many reasons, but there's one that was in the news here not too long ago, and I'll just mention that one. That'll be my one good thing. In a short time after wolves colonize an area, deer vehicle collisions dropped 24%. And this was a University of Wisconsin study. Uh, it was a, like a natural resources economist and they, I know it was in the Proceedings of the Natural, or National Academy of Sciences, which is a wonderful journal. But 24%. And thinning of the deer population by the wolves and behavior changes would be, and fearful deer would be the factors. So wolves aren't going to kill that many deer to make that big a drop. But wolves will use linear features of a landscape, so they will travel corridors like roads and pipelines and stream beds, and deer will learn that pretty quickly, and they will adapt by staying away. Hmm. So you won't have the wolves coming up, or the deer coming up along the, the roads very much, because they know that's where wolves are. So that's one good thing, your chance of being hit by a or hitting you know my wife uh, I think it was my wife and a neighbor and we had like three of them in a short time were all hit by a deer uh, Virgil Paulson I remember he stopped to watch two of them rock, walk across the road and all of a sudden he heard this bam and he thought somebody had shot his car or something and it was a deer ran right into the side of the car so Sometimes we are hit by deer rather than hitting deer, and we all have that brother-in-law says, oh, I was hit by a deer, and we say, yeah, sure, you were a pal, you hit the deer. Why do birds roll around in the dirt? Uh, birds take dirt baths because those 
there's abrasive particles in the dust. And those abrasive particles clean feathers. They remove lice and parasites. So birds roll about loose sand or dust, and then they get up and you watch them. They shake vigorously, and the sand and dust absorb excess preen oil, the oil they use to work on their feathers. and also removes dry and itchy skin. And you can see where they, there's a spot on our driveway where they do this. Dust bathing leaves like bowl-shaped hollows on the ground. It's soap and water without the soap and water. So it's a pretty neat thing to see. I I wouldn't recommend you have your kids do it. I, I don't think a sweaty child rolling around the dirt maybe would be the best thing for cleaning. But, uh, you know, it's a kid. They'll probably do it all on their own. What is the largest rodent in the U.S.? Kupabara, right? I, uh, nope. No. Nope. Everybody's thinking of one. They're saying, oh, oh. man. Well, I don't you know. know my, somebody will probably say, well, K- my brother-in-law. Is it a capybara? C-A-P? Well, aren't those nope. the biggest? No? Oh. They are, but they're they're only in the U.S. in, uh, oh, uh, zoos and things. Okay. Yeah. Well, what is it then? The second largest is the porcupine. Okay. And the largest is the beaver. So oh. they're huge. And this is where I should tell that story I've told a thousand times of being chased by the world's largest beaver on a river. And <laughs> that thing was, you know, 500 pounds in my mind. But right. I don't know. Yeah, it probably was a little short of that. But, yeah, that's the biggest one we have in the U.S. And, uh, oh, folks, they are, aren't they, they're a big, big thing. I was walking uh, a bike trail the other day, and uh, here comes a beaver, just walks across the bike trail in front of me, stops and looks at me with that, what are you looking at, buddy? That kind of thing, and just waddles off and goes into the water, and away he goes. So he was uh, not nearly as big as the one that chased me, of course, but that's a big, big, big animal, and it uh, it was very cool to see it. Uh, why are moths attracted to lights? Oh, you know, I go to, uh, I played ball forever and go to ball games. And at night, we used to see these snowstorms of moths around the lights. They'd kind of eat. Sometimes I swear they dimmed the light a little bit. There was just so many of them. I don't see them quite like that anymore. We played a lot of ball in Geneva. It was right by Geneva Lake, and then there was a place called the Narrows, kind of a marshy area, and the ballpark was there. So every moth from that area would come out and fly around the lights. And then about uh, once uh, a game, the lights would overheat, and we'd be out in the outfield, and all of a sudden it became completely dark, and we had to wait for the lights to find themselves again. But why would they come to the lights? Like a moth to a flame, we hear. Uh, moths and other insects gather around lights. And scientists don't know why this fatal attraction occurs, but they speculate, because that's what scientists can do. Moths might think the light is the moon that aids their navigation. Or they might mistake it for daylight and become confused. You know, who hasn't done that? Got up at two in the morning, turn on the light, and say, it's it's daylight. So who knows why they're doing that? All we know is that they do it, and it's it's kind of cool to see. A snowstorm of moss is just, we get a snowstorm in the middle of summer. 
I want to thank, you know, this year's half done already, Karen. Man, 2021, slow down. What's the deal? You know a shortcut? You know, get off that (laughs) shortcut. Get back on the regular road and give us more time. We don't want it to go by. We might bellyache about how hot you are, 2021, but don't take it personally. We don't mean anything by it. Just be nice and slow down. Uh, thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with uh, Karen and me. We appreciate your company. I'd stood in the rain to welcome its return after a long absence, and I just stood there just rejoicing in the rain, and I, I didn't melt. So that I felt up to tackling task, onerous and otherwise. I do some things the way Fred Flintstone did, and I do other things the way George Jetson did them. That's the way we are, which I think makes me a Renaissance man. So George Jetson means that I use digital devices, and I had a digital device that needed dealing with, which required a visit to a place employing people who deal with digital devices and need of being dealt with. It had a keyboard that would no longer play nice with the the uh, tablet. So I, I was getting ready to go over there, my bride and I, and I hadn't shaved for a few days, and I wasn't averse to adding another day to that total unless there was a discount given to clean-shaven men, so I checked, and there wasn't. So we went to this wonderful place and ended up having to get a new keyboard because keyboard, the old one, who knows what was wrong with it. I had gone down the yellow brick road of digital brain repair, and I was successful, but I still have a head of straw. So thank you, everybody, for listening to me. Heartland as well, we're driving past. Please do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Uh, it sounds like you're really enjoying the outdoors and having a great time. So uh, keep it up. All right, you too, and, and happy bird watching. We'll chat with you next week, and then I hope you get some of this rain that's coming our way. Please send it this way. All right, bye-bye, Adam.